0: Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode two. This is the first of my practice power pods designed specifically for the parents of young artists. We had an amazing response to our introductory episode, and I can't wait to give you some great insights on practice. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. Today, I'm releasing three episodes to cover the advice I have for students in three separate age groups, elementary, middle school, and high school. I sincerely hope that you will consider listening to all three. All kids are different, and they develop at different rates. There will be things from each of these three podcasts released today, which I bet will apply to everyone. This episode, two is devoted to our elementary school age students. It is always so amazing to meet these young musicians still in primary school. They have already shown such passion and grit in their learning, and they have a lot to say with their music already. They also have practice challenges all their own. For the sake of this podcast, I'm going to stick to the 7 to 10 age group. I realize there might be a few slightly younger, but this will help me center my thoughts Remember that my podcast is mainly geared at pre-college level training, but the fact is kids are soaring higher and higher, earlier and earlier, and our conservatory, at least, has a dedicated program for these early birds called the Young Musicians Program. It is a modified pre-college schedule, and it recognizes these very gifted children by offering them opportunities in musicianship, theory, and private instruction. As they are ready, They advanced to chamber and orchestra and a full day of classes every Saturday. So first, to get started, let's discuss what we know about their development as people in elementary school. In this age group, you can expect that kids will start asserting a greater independence from their parents little by little. They are also starting to think more about other people, so you may find you can reason with them slightly more. I have definitely seen this change in Ava in the past few months. Whereas before I had little leverage with her, now I can reason with her and she will suddenly see my point of view, slowly reconsidering. This can be a relief, right? In addition to this, they are starting to learn more about the difference between right and wrong in behavior, so their sense of morality is growing in more detail. They are in a rapid learning cycle in school and they are also learning a tremendous amount about socializing and making friends. They are starting to understand teamwork, and they are also beginning to grasp the concept of time and the future. These last two items can come in so handy with practice. So if your kid is six or seven and not showing an understanding of these concepts quite yet, perhaps you are about to see it. So keep your eyes peeled. Some kids closer to the end of this age group are starting to think about their place in the world and are feeling more subtle ranges of emotions, like disappointment, resignation, or resolve. Their emotional palate is growing, and they are trying to express their feelings in brand new ways. This fuels their music making, so it can be a wonderful time to experiment. Sometimes their frustration still gets the better of them, especially if it is attached to something they believe they are good at. Unfortunately, they are more prone to argue right now and they show defiance when they feel they have little control over something. They feel the need to poke holes in what you say and they will point out your inconsistencies. In fact, they seem to enjoy it. They can also sometimes be a bit over-emotional and they haven't quite figured out how to calm down. But, good news too, these are the years they develop metacognitive skills which help them to reflect on their own thoughts and emotions. Because of this, they can have a healthier perspective, and even self-correct if they find themselves in a situation which has troubled them before. They also begin to find themselves more comfortable in new situations, and they can easily adapt coping strategies now to new challenges. So what can we glean from all of this to help us with practice? Well, one might think from what I have just described that our cute little musical cherubs might be starting to fight us a bit in the practice room. They're pulling away from us, but that's not good because they are also emotionally impulsive, don't understand time or the future, and are still struggling to understand cause and effect. Uh Uh-oh! But don't worry, knowing these characteristics just helps us understand them better. It helps us as parents land more on the side of empathy when it comes to practice. And it might just shift our approach a bit, which can help an enormous amount in this age group, especially since we are still for the most part right there with them in practice and in lessons. Let me tell you how knowing these things and reviewing them occasionally has helped me personally. I focus on the positive things she is learning naturally at this age. For instance, I've started relying on her understanding of teamwork. When we practice, I identify us as a team. She still needs me, so I am there. She actually doesn't want to work without me yet because she is very picky, but I will assign her certain things to do while I do a short chore in the house, like changing over the laundry. Never anything more than a few minutes so that she has the opportunity to succeed at getting something done herself and feel empowered by it. When she does get overly frustrated and shows her temper, I ask her to reflect on how that worked last time and if it helped. And as we approach something hard, I might ask her to help me this time by staying focused and calm. We use sand timers because I know there are limits on how long she can maintain that focused and calm state of mind. I let her choose the sand timers, which have different amounts of time on them. I've talked about this on Instagram, and sometimes she will choose a longer one, and I can see on her face that she's doing it to challenge herself. She truly wants to make improvements on her pieces, and she wants to try and stay calm and focused, but she's still learning how. And because I know that she is starting to be capable of feeling the subtleties of emotions, now I ask her to help me identify emotions in her pieces and how we can achieve them through sound. Since she loves reading, and that's a skill that evokes a lot of pleasure and pride for her, there is always a character in a book or a situation in a story I can refer to to help her find the emotion she's looking for. Or maybe I give her a few options to try out, like a mini emotional wardrobe. Does this part sound relieved, grateful, cheerful, or glad? How can your bow make these emotions come out and how should they sound different? Beyond all of these thoughts, there's a bigger picture I'm pointing to. As a teacher and as a parent, I think it is important for us to give ourselves reminders of what they are likely going through in their development. This is so we don't confuse their behavior as being related to their interest in music. If Ava is being defiant and arguing in practice, I don't think it ever means she doesn't want to do violin anymore. It just means she's eight and we need to go through these developmental waters together as a team. Let's talk about what motivates kids in this age group to get up and practice. First, let's talk about incentives. If you follow my Instagram page, you know we do incentives in our house. To be honest, one of my kids doesn't really need them and doesn't operate this way, except just for fun and to be included. But Ava loves incentives, and the way I figure it, that's okay, because so do I. If I have to do something I know will be hard, I plan a little treat for myself after. I keep all of our incentives small because I'm not looking to go broke. And also because at this age, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that they still like very simple, inexpensive things as treats. The things that Ava doesn't want to do that inspire incentives have nothing to do with her love for violin or music. They are just aspects that she doesn't enjoy as much. Maybe she just has trouble getting started on them, or they just frustrate her because they're still very challenging. For example, she knows she needs to do run-throughs on the week of a performance, but she will still avoid them, because they take a lot of energy out of her, and frankly, she would rather practice instead. But run-throughs are an important pedagogical component of her training, and her teacher wants her doing them, so we can't skip them. So what's a parent to do? I started a run-through jar where she gets 25 cents a run-through and last year it fixed things almost immediately. Kids can be surprisingly simple at this age, so I'm so glad I tried this. This year I upped it to 50 cents and you would have thought she won the lottery. Then someone awesome suggested I switch to chocolate coins because I will go broke slower and now I am basically cruising with her through the run-throughs and eating chocolate. Every kid has their currency, so you just have to find theirs. I have also started offering focus incentives for a lesson well done with her teacher. We do a homemade pizza night after her lessons now if she shows him her best work. I started doing this because she was getting really goofy in her lessons and then he wasn't able to help her as well because he wasn't aware of what she could do if she was focused. Sound familiar? She has just gotten a bit too comfortable with him. And I don't want him being stern with her because I don't believe in that at this age, so I had to change something on my end. Once I offered the focus incentive, things changed, and she started going in there focused and ready. One really obvious way to boost your kid's motivation to practice is to throw a performance on the calendar. Ask any teacher, and they will tell you that kids will find the motivation to practice when there's a recital nearby. But I always say, don't wait for that. Play at church or at a retirement home or at your grandparents' house or for your school class. Do it in a way that seems really special to them so that they get the great experience of feeling adrenaline and trying their very best. Go through the motions of picking out something special to wear, doing run-throughs the week of, and making them a special snack to have before. I also know of more than a few studios that are currently doing awesome studio practice challenges. Join one of these right away or start your own. Start the 100-day challenge on Instagram or make a chart at home with a fun thing to do as a prize waiting for them at the end. We have had many challenges here that even have to do with just having a good attitude or a specific technical correction like posture. Kids this age love this and they respond positively to it 9 times out of 10. My kids' school is giving them incentives constantly, and love them or hate them, they work. It also teaches them about teamwork and the value of really good old-fashioned practice. The other thing I've noticed that a lot of kids in this age group enjoy is charting. It is likely something they are learning at school, too. And as we will talk about later, this tie-in can be really positive for them. It basically makes them feel doubly smart. We have charts which are very simple and are up on our wall in our practice area. She keeps track of what she practices every day, and she loves physically marking on the page once she has done something. This also prompts her to make the right choice as to what she should be doing in her practice next. She can look at the chart and see what we didn't get to yesterday, and then it's the chart telling her, not mom. She also feels good about making the right choice and sticking to the chart. If I deviate from the chart, she's quick to correct me and she loves that. Anyone else have a kid who takes sheer delight in correcting them? This is also normal for their child development. Here is something that has been super helpful with practice for both Ava and my other students in elementary school. Kids in this age group love tying in concepts from school patterns, basic math, story construction, character development, basic science. Keep track of those sheets they are sending home with what curriculum they are doing. Read what they are up to in class and sometimes it's remarkably easy to find a practice tie-in. Here are some examples of how you can do this. Try conducting an experiment with a practice technique. Which practice technique solved the trouble spot better? Rhythm work or metronome? Learn how different parts of the body work and how this relates to their instrument and different aspects of their techniques, like what parts of our bodies work like hinges, and the different kinds of ranges of motion we have. You can also discuss potential and kinetic energy. Bow placed on the string is potential, bow in motion is kinetic. Tie into art class talking about colors and textures in their pieces. How about writing a story with vivid characters and conflict for the development sections? It can really help bring it to life. These last two things really help with focus and memorization. Here's a good example from Our House. Remember how I talked earlier about their ability to identify more subtle emotions? We also use color swatches for that, which Ava absolutely loves. I might ask her to categorize the emotions I mentioned earlier, grateful, glad, relieved, cheerful. She will generally place all of these under a larger umbrella emotion, like happy. So I ask her then to close her eyes and tell me which color happy is. She says blue, and I pick a bold blue swatch. Then I hand her all the blue variant swatches and have her identify the other more subtle emotions using the different shades of blue. Then we'll try and create those subtle colors with sound, using her piece of music to see which one fits better. This takes time, but it's worth it. She has to vary bow speed and pressure and vibrato to feel it through the sound, and it reinforces things she's learning in her development as a child. She is grouping things together, exploring their differences, and experimenting with subtle emotions it ties straight into her music. I am a firm believer in child-led learning. Certainly at the early end of this age range, child-led learning is still your friend in practice. I know some parents don't like to let the kid lead them in practice, mainly because they don't think anything will get done, but I think they should try the art of only giving the right choices just to get started. My own mother taught me how to do this with vegetables, so let's say you want your kid to eat four green beans. How many green beans do you want, four or five? They'll answer four. Good, you're done. Try this with practice. What do you want to do first? Bow exercises or your etude? Scales or arpeggios? Open string work or vibrato exercises? It's all good. Just give them choices where they can't go wrong. Giving them this little bit of control can sometimes totally shift their disposition. I know that it takes longer, but I also believe wholeheartedly in maintaining a happy disposition because that is when they learn faster and deeper. You can have child-led music lessons at this stage more than you might think. Have them pick a new rhythm to try on a scale or a new bowing, now combine them. Now it's their own scale, like concoction. Now let's celebrate by playing it plain, the way the teacher might want. Is it easier? Try asking them to tell you what feels different. Engaging them in the process taps into the teamwork element they are learning, and it just feels good. Just make the work thoughtful and keep their disposition happy, and you are truly golden as a parent. Don't worry about getting to everything every day at this age. Just work on disposition, mindset, and attitude. Everything you do will add up by the end of the week before your next lesson. It isn't worth pushing past their limits to get everything done every day. And in the end, you do much better and achieve much more if you focus just on the process. When working on their pieces, I always like to ask them, what is your favorite part? then have them explain why. Let's work on making that part extra special for you to share with your teacher, I'll say. This is still child-led, but it helps them begin the process of making a piece theirs. And that always leads them back to practice. When they feel they own a piece in a way which is unique to them, it motivates them to play it more and more. I try and encourage my parents to feel free to mix it up when things are frustrating. This can help reset their disposition, and sometimes they're just having an off day, just like us. One thing I think parents don't do enough is work on rhythm. So if your kid is having a frustrating day with their instrument, have them put it down and grab a rhythm instrument instead. This is used seeing their disposition not suited to learning with their instrument and changing things up. A rhythm instrument can be a pan and a wooden spoon, there are wonderful rhythmic training books out there. Spend five minutes using a drum or a rhythm instrument of your choice to develop coordination and steady rhythm. We have a triangle, a drum, finger symbols, and wood blocks in our house, just having collected them over the years. Clapping is fun too, but rhythm instruments are a little better because they are objects being held and manipulated like they're instruments. So that will transfer more fluidly to an instrument in my experience. And by all means, don't forget to let them just play. Sometimes Ava will just pick up her violin and start playing some song off the radio or making something up on her own. She can be extra dramatic when she's doing this and is clearly just having fun. Allow them to explore. Let them improvise or play things by ear and try on new emotions for size. It is during these times where they are connecting with their instruments and filling their joy tank, so to speak. You want them to feel comfortable playing with full emotions, both in front of you and audiences. So this is almost like rehearsal for that. It is sometimes during these play sessions that you will hear a widest range of emotion from them. And that is great. It's almost like acting to them, but it's exhilarating and gratifying to them too. Don't hurry them into serious work when they do this. Let them play. This is a wonderful way for them to learn the limits of their instrument, and you really won't miss that extra five minutes of etude work later. Now that we've talked about how to motivate and keep them happy in practice, let's talk briefly about when we practice and how we get started. Do you have a structured schedule for practice? Now is a good time to start. The habits we form now can last for years. Pick a time which will work every day and stick to it. And when I say stick to it, I mean really stick to it at this age, even on school breaks and when people come to visit. How do you start your sessions? Do you announce practice and hear them groan back at you? Try this. Invite them into practice not as a choice, but more like, let's do some music together. Then proceed like it's happening, even if they are slow to join you. Don't berate them for lack of enthusiasm. Just praise when they show the energy that you're looking for. Here's some real talk for parents of the smaller kids. Kids know when we're faking it, so prep yourself with coffee like I do, or have some me time right before to clear your head, or just make sure you are actually ready for some centered music making. Because if you enter your time together stressed or distracted, you will wreck your chances at a productive session because your role in this is crucial. I have had this happen in our house enough to avoid the triggers, but make sure other children are happily engaged in something else and turn off your phone or put it on silent. Do not do other work while they are practicing. Give them your full attention. It makes a huge difference in many ways and it's so worth it. I am someone who believes that parents need to make practice a daily habit just like brushing teeth. In essence, even if they didn't like doing brushing all the time, it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't sit there and let them not brush their teeth. That wouldn't look so hot at your next dentist appointment, and plus, we all just know better. Take care of this commitment to practice that they have made in their lessons and set a time to keep it. Ava and I always practice in the morning. She calls it Violin Breakfast. It started out at 15 minutes before kindergarten, and now it's up to an hour every day. She doesn't even ask about it ever being different or changing it or skipping it. This is just like brushing her teeth in the morning, and I have no doubt it is the thing that has made the biggest difference in her violin playing by far. I remember when I started it, I proudly posted it on Facebook as a commitment I was making and how much I hoped that it would stick. A friend instant messaged me and said, I give you three weeks on this. He knew I was not a morning person. But the thing is, Ava learns best in the morning, and it was the thing that worked for my family because I was teaching 40 to 50 hours a week. So I knew this was the commitment I had to make, and I did it. It might be sponsored by Starbucks at times, but it's happening. By setting a time, you will form a ready-made set of gentle cues because other things will start to form around the practice and the kids will start to anticipate their practice session and expect it. This, in time, will make them less likely to argue it or try and change it. Here is another suggestion that was given to me that works well for us for later sessions in the day if our schedule permits. If you are getting resistance at the start of a lesson, try a nonverbal cue. These could be as simple as a light going on near their stand or the blinds going up in the room. Maybe just you tuning up their instrument. Or you could also do a gentle cue through another scheduled activity occurring very regularly before, such as listening to their music to warm up their ears. Think of this like a bedtime routine. They do A, B, and C... And then it happens as a reflex after a while. Just remember, it won't be a cue unless you pick something and stick to it. Many parents have asked me, how do we make them want to come back for more later in the day? If you're trying to get them to do a second practice later in the day, good job. This is what I like to tell them. Try your best to end each session on a bright note and not to let it go on too long. This will give you a higher chance of them coming back on their own later. When I mess this up at my house, I always know where my bright note was, and I ignored it, wanting to accomplish one more thing, and I've worn her out. Lessons learned. I always tell my parents to make sure to celebrate small victories, too, instead of just getting on to the next thing because you feel a time crunch. Small victories could be a new tempo achieved, ringing pitch, or a beautiful tone. Here's a nice way to do that. Ask them to show mom or dad when they get home. I say, hey, I bet daddy would love to hear that. I was telling him yesterday how hard you were working on this and that I just knew you were going to get it. Also, talk about what they will do next. Ask them what they think they should do in their next sessions. They might have a really great idea of exactly what they should do, and this prompts them to come back. Or if they don't have an idea, mention something you know that needs to be worked on, but consider letting them help you develop a strategy to use for your next lesson. Teamwork. Implement that teamwork thing again and see if that inspires them to join you later on. A tried and true method for us over here is that chart. I just say, hey! Go over there to see what's left for us to do today. Let the visual cue do the work for you. Okay, on to my favorite part of the podcast. Now they're practicing, but how do we get some bang for our buck? Let's talk about retention. One of the most frustrating things that I face in practice is coming into a new session and finding out that the thing that we worked so hard on the day before just didn't stick. And while we talk about retention, we're gonna talk a little bit about practice technique. The first practice technique I want to talk about is repetitions. Many students do repetitions of new techniques or skills to help their bodies learn new information. But here's where I think they have trouble. A child will do something correctly twice and think, good enough, let's move on. Their instincts actually tell them that they are good to go way before it's time. Teach them that they are always three times away from when they will be done. Their body will say they are a-okay, but they aren't yet. Try using phrases like, don't fall for that, you're smarter. This is the opposite to eating, where the body can be full before it actually registers. For repetitions, I find the body sends a signal, it's done, when really it needs three more repetitions to truly sink in. Have fun identifying when the body gives that I'm done signal. Ha ha, you can't trick me. Nope, let's do it three more times. Make those times extra challenging and do one looking at the left hand and one looking at the right, one looking at the mirror or one with the eyes closed. What worked best? Oh look, that's a science experiment we just did. Mix it up to help them get to the finish line. Try a bead counter. Or maybe make a bracelet of achievement on a section. They will wear it so proudly. Make the last bead the one they get when they make the correction in context when they play the whole piece. Repetitions are necessary, but we can make them a bit more fun. How about the metronome? Some of us are musicians and parents, and we already have a relationship with the metronome, and maybe it's a bit of a frustrating one, but try not to give that away too quickly to your kid because some kids actually like the metronome. Find a fun one for your phone or for your music room and try doing games with it. Make a chart to track your progress. The zigzag game was big in my studio. In that game, the metronome goes up three and down two, then up three and down two again, zigzagging tempi all the way up to your goal. We also use the metronome to make sure we are steady. They will think they are steady in a tempo when they are really not. It's just another funny trick the body plays on you. Tell them they are too smart to fall for that. Even I am dismayed when I play with the metronome. I should be steady by now, but I'm not. The battle with the metronome is lifelong, believe me. So try not to make it such a battle. Make it a tool that helps you not get fooled. And this way, the metronome is a truth teller, and it is their friend. What about problem spots? Have them mark the challenges they are facing in each trouble zone down on a piece of paper. Writing them down as a practice list and then color coding it with a bracket on the score can really help. But have them do it themselves because it makes it sink in very differently. It is quicker for parents to do it, but this is a very common misstep parents make to move things along. In the end, you will achieve faster if they mark it in themselves. They can mark things in in the way that they will understand as long as it makes sense to you. They can choose their own colors, use highlighters, personalize it so that it sparks for them. We have separate markers and highlighters for our music that don't get used anywhere else in the house. This seems to be very effective with other siblings. The fact that these are theirs alone, a special musical arsenal of sorts, makes them feel more powerful and they will use them more Just remember, the neurons we all want firing won't fire if you do it for them. I would really be remiss if I didn't talk about the importance of listening and how it can motivate practice. Listen to recordings taking special note now of what they are working on technically and musically. Put these sections on repeat. In Suzuki, listening is something that is encouraged and an integral part of the method. But what strategies are we using after Suzuki to help our kids to listen to not just the literature they are currently working on, but the next set of repertoire they will be training on and at a higher level? The great thing about learning nowadays is that you have access to lots of recordings and videos for free on YouTube. It is really powerful to be able to offer a young player three or four different versions of their piece in quick time. They learn to see the value in different stylistic choices, tempi, and get a taste of polished and really artistic interpretations. They can also see kids of their own age performing their pieces at one click, and they feel so inspired watching their own age group. Lastly, I want to talk about the importance of community and how this can influence practice in our young people. This could be group lessons or beginning chamber experiences, or even youth orchestras. Kids love finding other kids just like them at this age. They may not have many like them at their elementary schools, but if your studio or music school offers group experiences, please consider signing them up. They can learn so much in a group class or workshop, and I know my daughter looks forward to musicianship class every week. She never wants to miss it. They're learning conducting, improving their note reading and reading about composers. Arrange to take them and their friends to live performances. This will inspire them so much by allowing them to see what hard work and perseverance can do. It also introduces them to more complex literature and serves as an example for stage etiquette and how a performer relates to their audience. All of this fuels their practice. It is always amazing to see the connections they make from one musical activity or experience, to another. As we get ready to end this podcast, I feel I should mention there are some very interesting points I made in the next podcasts for kids who are tackling more like three or four works at a time. If this describes your kid already, head over to the next podcast when I publish it and take a listen to the section about spaced repetition practice. There is natural crossover information in these podcasts, But since every child is unique, it might benefit you to get a head start on the next age groups too. I hope some of these suggestions have been helpful. Our next podcast is coming soon, and I'm going to be talking about scheduling, sleep, and nutrition. These are what I call practice and performance primers. I have done some new research on sleep, especially for children of all ages, and I'm really excited to share it with you because it's already changed how we are doing things in my house. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at Podcast at gmail.com, and let's connect.